Dotnet Rocks, episode 1049, with guest Jeffrey Palermo. Recorded Monday, October 13th, 2014. Hey, 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 it's Carl and Richard. We're back. We're at uh, NSB Conf. This was uh, this is coming out a while after we recorded this. Yeah, a couple this. of three weeks afterwards, but that's the way yeah. these things work out sometimes. Yep. Show order is a funny thing. It was a good conference. Yeah. We're having a great time. We did have a great time. It's All right. fun to be in New York, too. I love New York. And this particular neighborhood is called Dumbo. Yes. Which I think it stands for Down Under the Manhattan Bridge Overpass. Is right. that what it stands for? Yeah. Yeah, and it's and the and Manhattan Bridge is right beside us. Right, the subway races by every so often. It's, like it's pretty cool. And we're in this loft that is a sort of a shared space. It's a beautiful twelve by twelve timbers. Yeah, you know, and the guy from the forested country really cares about. Hey, that's nice wood. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, let's roll the better know framework. I got something for you today. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. First, a joke. Okay. And this was sent to me by today's winner. Oh, wow. Who has a website of bad jokes. <laughs> and I'm not going to give you the URL because I think I'm going to use some of these on the show. <laughs> but uh, a man buys a parrot. Okay. Takes the parrot. And the parrot's all polite and everything and probably want a cracker in the store. Mm-hmm. Takes the parrot home. All of a sudden, the parrot has like Tourette's. He's like swearing all the time. <laughs> Brings a date over. And, you know, he's insulting his, his girlfriend, uh, uh, can't have kids in the house. And, and the guy threatens the parrot. He says, listen, if you don't stop, I'm going to do something drastic. And the parrot's like, yeah, you and one arm, right, right, you know, blankety, blanky, felt and foul, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so finally, the guy's fed up. He throws the parrot in the freezer. The freezer. The freezer. Okay. And the parrot, you know, he hears a lot of thumping and flapping and squawking and carrying on. You and then think? quiet. And so he opens the freezer carefully, and the parrot's sitting in there on the third shelf going, shivering. shivering. He's like, I'm sorry. I won't. I'll behave. And he crawls out into the guy's arms. He's warming him up and stuff. And then the parrot looks at the guy and says, just one question. What did the chicken do? (laughs) (laughs) That's dark, man. Oh, it's dark. (laughs) Dark in the freezer. All right. Well, actually, I do have... Something for Better Know Framework today. And this is a project on SourceForge. You remember Star Trek The Next Generation had really cool-looking graphical displays, like their UI. It was probably unusable because it looked foreign. It was for the the 90s. It was very innovative. For the 90s, it looked very cool. Lots of blinky lights and things. And Well, anyway, there's an app, LCARS24. If you go to tinyurl.com slash LCARSproject, LCARS project brings you to SourceForge and it's LCARS 24. Star Trek 24 7, LCARS, which is Starfleet, GUI, full screen alarm clock and calendar, games, utilities, sims, maps, graphical LCARS library, file manager, viewers, players, animation. And then there's a link to the website. Wow, so this is a real set of apps for running on touch laptops? It says it requires its own machine. Okay. Requires its own computer, normally a late 1990s high-color, true-color laptop (laughs) with standard graphics card and Sound Blaster or equivalent. That tells you how long ago this was created. This is an old project. Sound Blaster. Sound Blaster. Hey, didn't I know somebody who contributed to Sound Blaster? Yeah. And there's a Windows version. Okay. Um, No chess, HTML, or launching of non-LCARS programs, but it runs under XP, also Vista on some machines. So as you can tell, it's it's been a while, but there's a lot of great. Uh, this is almost nostalgic for me yeah, now, right? Yeah. But so they have really, literally built a working UI for doing stuff, instead of productivity stuff. Yeah. With the with that Star Trek interface on. Yep. It. That's hilarious. And there's all sorts of, uh, like I said, all sorts of downloads and all sorts of little tools and utilities and things. Interesting. It is something, isn't it? Yeah, now you want to put it on one of the big touchscreens. Yeah. Right? Just like they did in, in the show. Right? Yep. It's a big 30-inch touchscreen right in front of you. You could do the thing with it. That'd be something. So there you go. 
couple of goodies for That's you to start the day. That's a flash to the past, man. Nice one. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1034, and that's the one we did with Robert Bogue when we were talking about gathering requirements. Right. And Rowan Dennigan wrote this great comment. He says, I love this episode, guys. I'm about to start a new job where I'll be having a lot more interaction with the clients than I am used to. This will include extracting the requirements from them. Mm -hmm. The tips and techniques that Robert mentioned were very interesting, and I will check out his videos. One observation regarding the selection of the most appropriate technology for the task at hand. And this whole thought really made me resonate with what we're going to do with this show. Yeah. Uh, I find that people often restrict themselves to the technologies that they know, and that's it. Spikes tend to involve investigations into technologies that are known rather than something that might suit better but is not as well known by the team. Mm -hmm. For example, choosing SQL Server rather than RavenDB for storage of document data. Mm -hmm. How do we ensure that we are open-minded to the best solution for the job without getting distracted by those people who suffer from shiny object syndrome? Yeah. Because you can go the other way too, right? Yep. Anything totally. new. I just, we should try that. That should be good, right? That whole dynamic. Yep. Um, so Rowan, I think you just set up our whole topic for the day because it's a big one. Uh, just thinking through how we pick the right things and, and sort of validate them. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 or 8, iOS, Windows 8, and Android. And before we go any further, let me tell you, Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer, IT admin, and creative training online. They have thousands of technology and creative training courses authored by MVPs, industry experts, and .NET Rocks uh, alumni. Mm -hmm. They offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access with a wide range of topics, of course, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything Microsoft, including a complete curriculum on Agile. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let's welcome back to the show uh, Jeffrey Palermo. Jeffrey is Managing Partner and CEO at Clear Measure Incorporated and has uh, also been recognized by Microsoft as an MVP for five years, at least five years now. It's been more, hasn't it? Yeah, probably a few more than that. Welcome back, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Wasn't this the guy that was driving a truck for the Army and wrote you an email like a million billion years ago? Wrote an email. He Skyped into the show oh, from Iraq. Right. Yeah. That was before I was in the co -host. Yeah, yeah. I think you might have been doing Richard the Toy Boy at that right. time. So that would put it in like the 70s or 80s yeah. in terms of episodes. Yep. That's a Blows long time away. ago, man. And look at you yeah. now. Blew us away. He's like, yeah, listen to .NET Rocks as I'm driving around in my Humvee, you know, delivering <laughs> stuff and... That was 2004. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that yeah. was 2004. Skype had just, what, replaced uh, Net2Phone or Dialpad. Yeah. Right. And I suspect the military hadn't caught up and didn't know that you were able to call home that way. No, the, the, the communications companies, they set up the satellite dishes and they had the Cipernet and the Nippernet. The Nippernet was unsecured and just with a good relationship with them, uh, they said, well, if you have your own equipment, I'll let you plug in, but that's all I can do. And <laughs> so, so you say Nippernet? It's yeah. called Nippernet. It's the, uh, unencrypted. Sounds obscene. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we got the equipment and ran some Cat5 across the sand and, did some combo wire for a half a mile in between two nice. DSL modems to get over to the tent area. Nice. And yeah, it was just all hacked together. <laughs> sure. Man, man. And then you, I mean, you eventually left the army and came back and you've been developing ever since. But right. Clear Measure is relatively new. It is. It is. I built another uh, uh, software consulting company, actually a couple before that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. At the, at the end of 2012, um, with a, with a business partner, Mark Stavro, we, we started a new software engineering company. Uh, called Clear Measure, and it's a, mm -hmm. it's a new concept with the changing industry. Right. Um, so I'm getting away from consulting and into outsourced software engineering, where right. we got um, a, a really good number of clients that we're we're the entire department for them, soup to nuts, everything, including DevOps and production. So they don't run. have any development or operations people for their products. You build them, you run them, you build them. We are the department, yeah. Right. Yeah, just you're like the we, IT department. We, just like we outsource HR to a company, for, sure. and we just want them to do that job. They just want us to do ours, right. and they want to run their business, and they, and they like it that way. And, and we're seeing more and more companies do that as as IT departments roll up to the CFO, and the CFO yeah. cost controls them out of existence. Right. Yeah. Well, we just... 
that are you actually getting the most productive solution, right? This is the same thing that happens, has been happening with cloud. Now that you have clear, measurable, hey, good name, clear, measurable <laughs> costs around a given service, then you, you, know, you sort of say, well, what, am I getting what I want for that right. price? Right. Because, you know, for a long time, we've sort of bundled software development into this kind of voodoo. Nobody really knows how much it costs. There's yeah. always a perception of huge return on value, which I, I buy, you know. Good software has massive value, which is why we get away with failing as often as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, to actually package it up neatly and say, "Here's your monthly price," right? And we will make this happen for you, right? And you know they're they're really happy. They're really happy just having a monthly budget. We have a dedicated team um, for them, yep. and you know internally, someone goes on vacation, we do what's necessary to make sure that everything Keep the happens. Right in place. They don't want to mess with that, and, and they don't want to rent people anyway. They just right. want to. They want an outcome. Yeah, how do we get the software delivered when we need to? And especially when you get over the operations side, you know, and I wear that half at least half the time. You need a certain scale and number of projects before you can have really good dedicated operations people. Mm-hmm. You're going to get there sooner right. than any one of your customers will. Yeah, we've got f- we got four people in that department now, mm-hmm. and we hired an executive from from another company. He hosted he hosted uh, PizzaHut.com among other th- big wow. systems. Wow, hey, there's a domain, and there you go. And so, yeah, it's r- really exciting. And so he, yeah, he knows the scale and he knows you know what's actually efficient because the difference between a really good ops guy who knows how to do things efficiently and inefficient is just like top tier developers versus average developers. It's not mm-hmm. twice as good. It's 10 times as good, 100 times as good. It makes a huge difference. So to do what you do, you really have to know how to consult because you have to obviously do systems right. analysis on existing stuff. I don't imagine you're doing much greenfield stuff these days. You're probably... It's, it, or actually, half of the stuff is uh, greenfield in nature, whether it's Upgrading a really old crusty system, or we're about to bring a Fox Pro over. Which it's sort of greenfield-ish, where right. it's not a it's clean, a rewrite. It's, but yeah, yeah, it's going to so be you a have rewrite. to understand the system that's there, and then you do a rewrite. Right. But you're getting that's magic because so few. How many people have always said, "If only we had a chance to rewrite this," system? right? Like you never get that option. Right. But you're getting it. Right. Right. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of a lot of companies had something built for them before and yeah the very the very rewrite thing hey this is no longer meeting our needs right what can we do about it if it's a fox pro app that means they've been keeping it together with duct tape and bailing wire for decades right and it's critical to their system and that's why it's still around wow yeah to their company keeping it alive right and now it's finally they're going to make i mean what talk about a massive jump you know from uh, technology from the middle 90s at yeah. best depending on which flavor of fox pro we're talking about and there's no upgrade guide for they, those types of systems no those people have passed on that's <laughs> a long time ago exactly so you're doing rewrites into modern.net mm-hmm. what's yeah. your platform of choice these days what do you like we're, we're microsoft stack and yeah. so we're we're trying to keep the latest the latest proven technologies in the Microsoft stack. We're really not a bleeding edge company. Right. Um, because it's well, hard to look at the nature of your customer. They've hung onto a piece of software for that long. They're probably pretty conservative, actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just like, just like the Toyota US expansion, if you change multiple variables at once, you risk failure. Sure. Um, and so if we have a new account, and we're also going to try a new technology that we're that we haven't put in production before. Yeah. That's just some extra. You're risk. asking for it. We are. We yeah, are. that's just more moving parts necessary. So you're getting these greenfield opportunities. How do you? You know that sounds great, but now you got blank screen syndrome, right? It's like we mm-hmm. first first open up studio. Well, well, new project. I love blank screen syndrome. <laughs> I live for a blank screen. <laughs> that moment. All things are possible. Oh yeah, that I love moment. it. Yeah, because right. your your options slowly dwindle after that. Yeah. Well, you know, I've done a lot of talking on the whole iteration zero concept, and it right. really is: what do you do in the first week or so to set yourself up for success and have a, a, a frictionless work environment, not end up in the, in the same ball of mud where the ball now all of the mud is your fault. <laughs> <laughs> you have an opportunity to make it all your fault. Right. <laughs> Nobody to blame but yourself. Well, it's kind of scary, and and just from I mean, years of helping other people do it, and then giving conference talks and getting questions. Uh, it's always good to, well, same old agile concept of a retrospective, look back and figure out how did we end up here? Let's make sure that we don't repeat history. Right. Yeah. Well, and like I said, intentional outcomes. I know where I want. You're now operating this mess too. You don't get to hand it to the customer right. and walk away. Mm-hmm. You got to stand so by it. You are living with every decision you make. Right. Keeping it running. Right. And so folks, uh, you know, they don't, they don't think, how did I get here? And, um, What's what's interesting is that there's a lot of the same types of 
mistakes that cause systems to have entropy develop and you can't do anything with them anymore. Right. And one of those, I mean, solid principles you can go through and, sure. but, but just rules of thumb, large, and this is basic stuff, large code files. Yeah. Just the simplest of concept. If you have large code files, I mean, yeah. we don't even have to get more specific That's on it. design <laughs> patterns nope. or anything. Nope. If you go in here and you're scrolling for days in a single code file, mm-hmm. chances are, Every little change is a big project. Right, right. And sooner or later, the people, people will quit a company because developers will quit a company because their day just consists of slogging through this That's and never right. having any sort of sense of satisfaction or that they're making a difference. Right. Yeah. And it's so hard. Well, you might, you, you see this also with they finally get the feature written and they can't get it deployed. Right. Right. That the infrastructure is so brutal. They spend all their time just trying to get the software deployed. Mm hmm. Well, it's all the, the whole same mindset that that caused the code to end up this way is the same design process or lack of process is about designing the infrastructure and the change management process around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that that iteration zero, that first week, do you focus on the infrastructure piece of how are we going to deploy, how how are builds managed, testing is controlled, that sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that your focus? That's it's all infrastructure. It's right. a, it's no no features whatsoever. Right. When you start out, there's some things you do where you're laying down infrastructure because you understand the shape of the system that you're going to be building. Right. And then there's other things that you just put down there right. regardless right. of what the That's shape right. is going to be. It's just it's it's a modern best practice and it's just the way it has to be. Um, uh, give me some examples of each. Sure. So, um, the first bit is source control. Yeah. And not optional. We, we can, yeah. we can talk about Git has one. <laughs> we yeah, can talk yeah. about all kinds of alternatives. <laughs> so you're done. As far Git, as you're concerned. Git has one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, whether it's the private setup or the public setup. Right. It's Git. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, most of our, most of the, most of the systems, uh, that, that, we're working on for our clients. We have in Visual Studio Online with Git. Mm-hmm. Right. We made that conversion a little over a little over a year and a half ago. But we yep. used we used Bitbu- Bitbucket uh, before that. Mm-hmm. After Atlassian acquired Bitbucket, and they've really made it a good enterprise level Git repository. And they've got Source Tree, which is a really good client um, for those who find uh, Tortoise Git just a little bit clunky. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, but we've gone to. Visual Studio Online with Git and integrates with Microsoft accounts now, and all what that. What do you think about GitHub for Windows, the Windows client? I used it, and then when I got a new computer, I found myself not installing it. Yeah. I mean, it's fine, but I just found myself preferring... It's a little black boxy for, for me. Yeah, I found myself preferring Source Tree from Atlassian with the main, right. for the main, but then also wanting... Uh, tortoise Git so that when I looked at File Explorer, I could see some of the icons and yeah, do a little right-click action. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's nothing like a shell integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So so source control is one of the basics, and figuring out uh, across across the organization how are you going to how are you going to manage your Git repository because right. you can use Git mm-hmm. the same way that 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 folks use SourceSafe and the same way that folks use TFS, where it's just a file directory. Right. Yeah, and you just start throwing stuff in there, yeah. but Source control. There's also there's also some conventions that we, we sort of have some choices. We can do we can do feature branching, or well, we can do master only, right? Or we can do feature branching, or we can do Git flow. Those are pretty much the the three that you okay. You master only, from. I get. Yeah, I get the yeah. branching. And but what about bran- feature branching? Fine. What's Git flow? What is Git flow? <laughs> okay, so Git flow has been around um, been around since 2010, but since 2012, it's really gotten some traction, and it's it's baked in as a feature to Atlassian Source Tree. Okay, and where the concept is that feature branches provide a little bit too variability. Um, and are, and while they while feature branching works just fine for really sophisticated teams, right? Most people haven't gotten to the point where if the build works, I automatically push to production that instant, right? Most yeah. people haven't gotten there. No. <laughs> for most people, we need one more concept beyond just feature branching, and that's the develop branch. So um, I know this is, this is audio, and I'm waving my hands in the air, but yeah, that's okay. we have so we have master, and master is only going to have commits merged from from the develop branch mm-hmm. where these are revisions 
ready to go to a downstream environment. These are named to, versions. Off to testing. Or yeah, off. testing, production. Yeah, exactly. Wherever you're going, you're going these, away from here now. Right. And every commit has a version number and we're going to refer to it as such. So there's right. not, there's not going to be many. No, commits I, I call those packages because I yep. generally have yep. so, configuration stuff in there, schema and so forth. So branching isn't evil anymore. No, I, don't, I mean, I don't think it ever was, but you don't. <laughs> some of the, some of the tools, some of the tools made it hard. You know what? I don't remember ever being able to actually do the merging in SourceSafe. Uh, subversion, in my memory, subversion made branching and merging doable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, ah, oh, now we can use this and we don't have to have the concept of a code freeze. Right. Just because we're putting something together for a testing or production, we can just have development continue on a different branch. And I, yeah, I've always felt like subversion was the beginning of a really distributed source control where the brancher was punished, not the shrunk. Mm-hmm. So if you went off and did your own thing and spent months away, you're the guy taking the beating, trying to get back to right. the trunk. Right. Where, you know, you go back to, to source safe where, yeah, we're all broken. Right. <laughs> Code freeze. Yeah. Everybody yeah. stop what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, we try and inch these things back together right. again. So Gitflow pretty much um, specifies a pattern of your branches. Okay. And yet you have a developed branch. Which is everybody on the team is going to put features on to this develop branch. Then off of the develop branch, you're going to have three different types of branches. One of them for hotfix. And okay. a hotfix is you're going to branch from the, from the commit that is currently in production. Right. Cause there's a production problem. Need to fix it right now. Branch from there. Just do that hotfix, merge it back in, merge to master, redeploy production. Yeah. The second. Um, is a feature branch. And so we're gonna, right. we're gonna branch and one or many people can all work together and it's a feature branch and, and the only commits, and there's gonna be a lot of commits, the only commits on there are for a particular feature. Right. And so features now have, um, isolate, they're no longer temporally coupled. They can move at different speeds and you can put a feature on ice and it's just fine because, because right. develop can move forward. Right. Once we're ready to say, Hey, you know what? This feature's done. Let's get it in. Um, then we're going to merge that feature branch, uh, and sometimes think about whether you want to terminate it, mm-hmm. merge that feature branch back into develop. Then you do enough of those feature branches. Now it's time to formulate a release. Right. So then you branch off of develop for the purposes of release, mm. change your copyright stuff, do some things, change your major or minor version numbers, right. other release right prep number. stuff. Yeah. And then you take that release build, merge it back in develop, back in master, now you're ready to deploy to production. And I totally buy that sequence. At that point, the features that haven't made it now have a new master, right? The ones that were left behind, they're still sitting on the branches. Well, feature branches can live for forever. It's up to the people who own the feature branch to continually back merge from develop, which is kept in sync with master. Right. So just mm-hmm. your, the world's moving on without yeah. us. And so it's not like we can do it in isolation. We need to keep up with right. what's going on so in a more stable branch. And so, you know, it, you really have to have separation of concerns in your architecture in order to do this right. Because obviously, you two people can't be changing the same files at the same time or interacting with those same, you know, uh, oh, you're modules. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just you, absolutely critical that your architecture is, is modern and up to date. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible, really, it, from a practical standpoint. If you, if, if we try to use Gitflow on a system where the code files are massive right. yeah. and to do any little change, right. you're sprinkling changes throughout these sure. same 10 massive code files. Yeah. You're not right. going to be able to merge those things no, together. You'll never just, get them back together again. Yeah. So the, yeah, the smaller the point files. being, if this isn't working for you, it's not a source code control problem. It's a source code problem. You're right. organizing you need, incorrectly. You need dependency injection. You need IOC. You need all of those things that make it possible for you to just bolt on features without you know, disrupting anything else. Yeah, if there's if there's one rule of thumb, because there's a whole lot of buzzwords, and if someone's newer in development listening to this, they're thinking, I don't even know what those meant. But, <laughs> yeah. but if there's one rule of thumb that like none of us ever argue about, mm-hmm. it's... Right. Things go better when the code files are smaller. Right. Yeah, yeah. And of course, then there's a lot of techniques. Like, okay. How do I keep them smaller? Yeah. And what right. are the things that leads me to put too much in them? And then how do I refactor them back into smaller? So, but just the rule of thumb, everything goes better when the code files are smaller. Right. 
It's a great fundamental rule to stick to. And it's, yeah, irrespective of language, tools, or anything. Keep those code files small. Right. How small is small then? I mean, if you can, I don't, I have to. You don't want three or four, more than three or four pages of scrolling, I think, in order to be, you know, you scroll a couple of times and you're like, where am I? Yeah. I was just thinking if you, if you have to scroll more than three, then it's, then it's, it's really about the human. The computer can do all that stuff, but it's, if, if I open up a code file, what's the time between when I open it? And I understand cognitively what it's doing. Right. It right. Does, so yeah. it's not about number of lines of code. Cause I mean, if you have, if you have nested ternary operators, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. A, but it's like, what the heck is this doing? One right. lambda pipes into another. You only need about four <laughs> lines of that. And nobody knows. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, lines of code. I mean, if you're scrolling more than three times, now it's obvious that it's going to take you a while to digest visually what's going on. Right. If you it's watch really, your developers and they're spending all day going up and down and up and <laughs> down the same page looking yeah well let's go i think i read uh capers jones's uh code statistics book a few years ago mm-hmm. he started nineteen thousand projects and wrote a software statistics book wow and he, he he i mean he lists out how much a line of c-sharp code costs versus c++ versus ruby versus lisp I wow. mean, all that stuff and and he said the average programmer writes 15 lines of code a day 15 15. Wow. Because the rest of the time is spent reading and figuring out what to yeah, do. How to actually make a useful contribution. Right. And and uh, that 95% of the code is cur- currently being maintained while 5% of of the work is building new new systems. Right. And just, I mean, cause the vast majority of our, of the work in the industry is maintenance. working on existing, yeah, maintenance. Yeah. So, which gets back to this whole, you know, how weird a greenfield opportunity is. And it's almost like we drive as quickly as possible to turn a brown field. Mm-hmm. Like get as much code written so that you're mired in that. And so we're back to what we know. Right, right. Trying to clean up messes rather than make it all right in the first place. Right. Code file short. Source control works. What's right. the next piece? So the next piece is uh, is just the the base structure of the Visual Studio application. Okay. And so obviously we need to do is architecture, figure out what is going to work, what's going to be the solution, what we need to build, what's right. the shape of it. Is it, is it a simple, is it a simple dynamic web application on top of a database? Does mm-hmm. it need a, a Windows service batch job? Does it is need this to an integrate? architectural discussion now? We're, we're dealing with an architect? Um, well, we need to. There's, yeah, there's various roles. Right. There's various roles. Um, and I think also that's probably one of the problem. It, Oftentimes, companies will go out and hire a developer. Right. Um, and it's just like, there's a, there's a really good handyman. Let me, let me have him build the house. Right. No, but he's a really, really good handyman. Yeah. And he has, he has built lots of houses before. Right. But had the help of an architect, had the help of a structural engineer, right. had the help of all these other people. Yes. Right. But yet in our industry, companies, just hire a developer and yeah, literally right. don't involve any other skill sets yeah. well, on the and, projects. And then put pressure on them to write code. Yeah. Not set up this infrastructure mm-hmm. and not think right. through architecture. Right. So in our, and we're, we find ourselves in that, in that space because a customer comes to us and they say, I don't have any technical staff. I don't want to think, I don't even know what want to, want to know what you guys do. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I just want it done. And then they don't say that we help them because yeah. the, They've been taught by the industry that they have to go to a staffing company and they have to hire, you know, different people and then right. they have to manage them. But we found that there's, there's largely four different roles, four different skill sets. And sometimes you find overlap in the same person. Right. But a lot of times you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because we all have to focus on different things and we all have to get good and deep at different sure. things. So the first one is, is the solution architect. Mm-hmm. And this person, has been around lots of different types of software products. They're really experienced. Now, they're probably not going to write much code at all no. for this software system, but they've, they've been there, done that. Yeah. Sure. They're, they're typically not in their twenties. Yes. I mean, they like 50, a hundred different type of yeah. types of product. And, you know, you do find, you do find ones in, in their thirties who've been in professional services their whole career because they've seen so many different things. Right. But it's hard to do that if you've been working at a Fortune 500 uh, IT company because maybe you've been babysitting the same system for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the solution architect is they've seen so much, they can hear a problem set and they figure out, ah, I know what the right approach is. Sure. 
since they start thinking in patterns, of, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably going to be laid out like this. And I want to, I want to do a callback to our, our listeners comment about this is sort of the point where you start talking about what tools are we going to use? What, how are we going to store data? How are we going to get this client, this mm-hmm. app out into the right. world? Those sorts of things. Right. Um, I always struggle with solution architects that dictate a stack really quickly. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. Why? Right. And not, and I really prefer validation, like actually doing some spikes around that. We're still in iteration zero. Do we have to start writing code right now? Can we actually start testing some pieces? Well, we split the difference in solution architecture from software engineering. So our solution architects don't do technology selection. Oh, interesting. Wow, okay. that's funny. So they're because, just patterns. Yeah, right. It, it's okay. Do I need, do I need, a relational data store here right. or, and do I have lots of documents over here where right. it's not relational data, it's blobs of data or files of data. Right. And so they, they hear it, they understand business. Um, a lot of times it's understanding the client's business model and how mm-hmm. they make their revenue and mm-hmm. what costs are associated and figure yep. out what the right thing to do is. But whatever they come up with, we could, hell, we could develop it in Java if we wanted to. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's still the same right thing to do. Yeah. The, the patterns are the patterns, and they're agnostic to the language and the technologies. Right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is it now? It must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to architect a solution to the giveaway with a bad joke pattern. <laughs> you are a it's solutions just, architect. It's essentially what I do. Nice. Yeah. It's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dave Matier from East Sussex. Congratulations, yeah. Dave. Dave. Nice joke, too. Dave is also the guy who gave us that joke at the beginning of nice. the show. And uh, he just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from DevExpress. Hey, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, Answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away great sponsor products. And every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And Jeff, we like to ask our guests, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? So I would buy two things and I think the money would be saturated. The one would be a robotic drone the the quadcopter drones that where you can write code and yeah. have them do things and right, that's about 400 ones. bucks yeah that's yeah. it oh. you can spend two grand on them if you want well but you can get a you know yeah if you're willing to put them together yourself i get an army oh. of them <laughs> 400 <laughs> bucks get ten. fleet actually for, for the, the the quadcopters that i have 300 bucks they come fully assembled yeah, yeah. and i'd have them coordinate with each other over in service bus nice <laughs> and then i'd also get Four of the new 27 inch touchscreen monitors and put them on. Make, them make on it some two ours. by two. That's right. Right? Nice. Well, they, they're still, they're not that cheap these days, actually. No. But the good touchscreen ones, they, they're nice. The modern touchscreen well, They're not good yet. Days. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. So Dell has the 27 inch for what, seven, six or 700 bucks yeah. each. Yeah. But they're not as good as the Ultra Sharp that are not touchscreen. Right. Yeah, it's a, it is balancing out between those two things. I put one of those Dell 27s in the kitchen, replaced my original touchscreen computer from five years ago. I still have my two uh, Dell 30s, 30 inches. Those are the 25, 60 by 1600, yeah. the high res ones. Nice. Other than DVID, which is such a pain in the ass, those are the best monitors to develop on. Yeah, I love them. Because mm-hmm. 16 inch, 1600 pixels high, is, that's like an extra 10 lines of code at the bottom of each screen. Mm-hmm. Makes all the difference for understanding. Right. Yeah. And Dell really has, has done a good job with monitors. And it's not their monitors. I mean, they're buying their screens from other companies and rebranding. Sure. But, but they make good selections. Right. I mean, we've yeah. got, we can pick Asus, we can pick Dell. Yeah. I mean, when you go to Amazon and look at the different types. Yeah, they do really do have, have sort of paid, like all those those thirty inch twenty. There's a Philips display, right? That's yeah. Philips hardware in the back. 
even Apple buys their hardware yeah. for that mm. screen. Oh, that, well. That's what it is. But yeah, the, whoever's doing the selecting there for that collection of monitors, they're all pretty good monitors. Pretty yeah. awesome. All right. We've got to jump back into this thing because it's, uh, it's complicated. We, I feel like we're just getting started still. We haven't even gotten close to writing code yet. Right. That's so right. I'm a solutions architect. You sort of laid out the patterns that are appropriate, obviously responding to requirements. Like it's mm-hmm. got to work on a phone or it's got to, Work on the uh, on browsers like we have a diversity right. of machines. Those kinds and our of clients don't even know how to ask those questions, right. so we have to pull it out and we have to, and we have to ask them because we know they're common. Hey, do you where do you want to use this? Are you going to be using from a coffee shop, from an airport, or just right. from the office? Right. <laughs> now, and is that most of the solution architect doing that, doing mm-hmm. the core requirement gathering? Yeah. So you still have a spec technology, but this architect is doing your root of requirements gathering. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you follow sort of the user story approach? I don't know what patterns you like for you know requirements gathering. The, our our clients that aren't even interested in having technology departments in a house, right, have no idea in understanding what the terms agile or scrum or yeah, you don't even need to tell them, right? Right. right. But what do you it's do? Completely internal. Yeah, how do you organize your guys? We we drift towards Kanban. Okay. Where we're going to have mm-hmm. weekly, we're going to have a formal weekly meeting with every client and, mm-hmm. and tell them about what's going on and, sh- and ask questions and have that where it's really the client guarantees us that they'll give us some of their time. Right. But internally, you from need a that work, domain expertise. We do. But internally from a work process, we use Kanban mm-hmm. and we just, um, we don't have, we, we, uh, we enforce the work and process limits by just the rule that, hey, don't do more than one thing at a time. Right. So the yeah, sure. so the whip is equal is in. It's equal to the number of people that are right. that are on the project. So that thing is done and moved down the stack. You're right. not working on the next thing. Right. That's pretty. I mean, it's pretty simple. It is simple. I like. That's why I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I use. It just works. Right. No ceremony. It's yeah. Simple. It's and and from you know we we still like to schedule retrospectives, but yep. uh, we don't schedule. Project-based retrospectives for particular client, we do it as a, we do it as a software engineering practice. How much time are you getting with your customer to get all these requirements down and to keep them involved in the process? Well, when when they're a new relationship, a lot because right. we're still building the, uh, a relationship of trust um, and figuring out what their business model is. But but for the customers that have been going, it's it's uh, the one hour meeting once a week, and then just the normal questions and dialogue that needs to happen on an ad hoc basis because when the way we operate is not really of a hey you hired us for a project and so let's engage you and have our project manager have a meeting or whatnot Mm. it's hey look we're we're your software department um we're never going away we're never going away we're We're incented to have you succeed Mm -hmm. we act like we work there yeah yeah and so if you work there you just well, you just walk down the office and talk to somebody, right? right. Well, obviously, we're all in our own office. We use tons of video conferencing, right. phone mm-hmm. calls. Pick up the phone. I mean, we're kind of, we're texting with the clients. Right. I mean, just sure. whatever. <laughs> and, you, and you're not proxying all communication through necessarily a project manager? Do mm-hmm. all the guys who are working on the project have contact with the customer? Mm-hmm. Now, we do have engineering VPs who are the development managers, and they're the, they're the chief. They're the interfacing with the with the client right we also implement fred brooks's surgical team model mm-hmm. and um it, it's described in one of the essays in the mythical man month book yep. mm-hmm. and so it's one of the essays is, is fred brooks one of the old gray hairs that said ah this is how software should be done and he, i think he revised it in 2001 yeah and he said yep i was still right <laughs> <laughs> it's an old book it's been around a long time it is yeah. and and he talks about two for any for any patient or operation you should have two skilled surgeons with your hands in the patient right and as many nurses surrounding them as you need right mm-hmm. and so we have one of our nurse positions um is a client engagement manager which does a lot of uh non-technical project management administration anything that doesn't have to be done mm-hmm. by a programmer goes to that role sure yeah, and, that's and, good and the charge for for both both ladies who fill that role is look at what the engineers are doing and aggressively pull away the things that you can do. Right. And that can pick up all kinds of things then. Absolutely. Right? It seems to me that you're, you're, you're really trying to, um, fragment and specialize the, the people that are involved in the project too, so that one role doesn't get overwhelmed. And I guess, you know, that's because we're all humans. That's really where the failure happens is when you get one person who is either churning or, or overwhelmed and, has too much on their plate for themselves. Mm-hmm. It seems to be like a, just like you could deconstruct and, and sort of, uh, granularize, uh, software. You seem to be doing that with, 
with your process as well. Yeah, and don't let me overstate. I'm still I'm still figuring this stuff out. I mean, yeah. you talked to me two years ago, and I wasn't thinking about these things, and so it's yeah. it's all a learning well, it seems process. Like a, seems like a natural progression, though. Yeah, so yeah. clearly you're going somewhere, and, and an interesting model too. That's just uh, oh, we're going to package this whole thing up, and, and it changes the level of communication, the way you right. need to do those things. And often, like we said at the top of the show here, you're working from an existing app, so mm-hmm. you have a certain amount of domain availability there, and we have data. And you have We're going to have to migrate. You're going to have to migrate. Yeah. That's right. Although architecturally, obviously dramatically different when you're dealing with old apps like that. Right. So it's Greenfield, technically, but you do have an awful lot of information at your fingertips already. Do you ever have a problem with definitions? You know, like, uh, do, you, oh, yeah. do you spend time up front defining what things are, making a glossary of terms? Harvesting the definitions. Nice. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, you're... Julie Lerman, Steve Smith show on domain driven design. Yeah, where we're talking yeah. about ubiquitous language. Eric Evans pushes on to figure out what the words mean for this yeah. business. Yeah. Nobody agrees on what the definition yeah. of a customer mm-hmm. is, even in departments across large companies. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does customer have one address or five? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a con- common problem. And then when you get into the heart, I mean, customer is one thing, but then you actually get into domain specific right. terms mm-hmm. right? and what those things actually mean. In the medical world, patient can mean a lot right. of things, mm-hmm. and treatment can mean yep. a lot of things. Right. Well, we have we're doing a, a, a an e commerce initiative right now, major upgrade, and the concept of an order, and then wait a minute, oh, we got order. Wait a minute, we got shopping cart. Wait a minute, we have. Whereas, okay, do you have an order before it's ordered? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or right. is, does an order mean that ah? They've decided to buy and let's get going. Let's right. hurry up and get it to shipment. I like the idea of, you know, in a, a, cl- a check, you know, a claim check, like a waitress or a waiter will take everything down, write it in a queue, you know, sort of in a, put it in a cash somewhere and it's not an order yet. And then, you know, it's only at the end of the yeah. transaction does it become an yeah. order. And those things are important. I mean, regardless of what the decision is, just making those distinctions thought be- through. So, I mean, we we're just talking about, domain specs and understanding the glossary but now you start to work on w- workflows right right what is the progression from first contact with the customer to a delivered order mm-hmm. so andy and i were um andrew seymour did the, the talk the talk with here at the conference we wrote the rode the same plane from austin right united mm-hmm. never fly them again so <laughs> hey, I, i'm with you I, and i so have no bones about saying it from the austin airport we're sitting there we're talking about it and we're we're Plenty of time. We're on time. We're at the gate. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, I hear a uh, final boarding call. Oh, okay. Let's go up. And so we're at the gate, five people behind us. Here are boarding passes. We hand it to them and the computer makes a, a bad beep sound. You know, a sound yeah, you yeah, don't want to yeah. hear. Sad bad beep. beep. And she's like, well, why can't I go? And then the lady from the thing walks over and said, I already cleared them out. You can't let them on. Somebody else has already taken their seat. Say literally, what? it was 10 seconds from final boarding call to we're right. standing there. And, and so Andy and I were analyzing what happened here. And yeah. we figured it out. Ah, this lady's using a computer system. And she clicked the button that was unundoable. Right. <laughs> and so she clicked oh, the button wow. to release the seat. And it, quote, marked the saga as complete. Right. Yeah. You can't get it back. No. So have now. To start over. She has to boot other people off the plane to put your seats back in again. Right. It was chaos. Why? Yeah. I mean, we're guessing, of course, what this is. But the computer sure. system had right. her hostage. Yeah. yeah. She couldn't do her job because the computer system wasn't properly modeled to what happens in reality. reality. Some, yeah, some of these design decisions where um, if if you get the business process wrong and then you codify that into the software, well, now you have some customers who are who are talking about a poor customer experience on a popular show. Right. Mm-hmm. How would that happen? <laughs> uh, classic example I've run into exactly like that in terms of design decisions versus business decisions is having a back order system for item inventory allowed me to cache inventory levels, which meant that mm-hmm. apps ran way faster because caches are fast compared to fetching the database all the time. But sometimes you sell something you don't have. Right. But we have a back order system, so we have a way to pick that up, clean it up, and keep going. Right. But that's totally a business decision. And exactly. Rarely do you have, fo- you know, business guys who are like, "Yeah, hey, we sure let's do a back order system." Right. Why would we have that? Right. So it's just interesting that you get to that conversational point in understanding workflow well enough that mm-hmm. you can see the implementation impacts of it. Right. I ran into a huge misunderstanding with a client of mine over the word video. <laughs> what is video? Is that just a? Is it a? Is it an image on the screen? 
Is it a file? Is it a WMV? Is it an MOV? Mm-hmm. Is it an MP4? Is it a series of JPEGs? Is it one JPEG? Is it what is it? Yeah, and and based on that, that can lead you down several technological paths. Some of which might be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very very important to get those things defined right up front. All right. So we're talking about roles. Yes. <laughs> we're blazed, we, we, got, we got to the out. architect and had some fun there. <laughs> yeah. So this, you know, an experienced solution architect is going to know to really drill down into what words mean to make sure there's a clear understanding. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. someone who only has one or two projects under their belt, it's probably not going to be on the forefront of their mind because they won't have. How complicated could right. customer be? Exactly. Sure. <laughs> so the next one is, okay, this is what's appropriate to build. Go in this direction. This is, this is the, the type of solution that's going to solve the problem. The next one is the software engineering mm-hmm. where we have a, a software, a software architect, not a solution architect, a software mm-hmm. architect. Um, look at the, look at the plan and make the technology selection. Right. Ah, I see what type of system we're building based on, based on, my intimacy with the current tool sets and current best practices mm. and my leading teams in creating these things. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this shape of a system and ask questions and I'm going to make the technology selection, figure out what the right things piece them together. And I mean, obviously functionality is one part that's got to do what you need to do, but given a few choices there, you're now talking about what do you know the most about or what your team knows the most about versus you know, maybe something that gives a competitive advantage, even if you don't know as much about it. Like what is the mm-hmm. major metrics to making those selections. I think the major, the, the major thing to think about is what gives certainty of success. Right. Because there's very few, very few pieces of software, very few scenarios where we have to reach for a completely unproven experimental technology to have mm. a chance of success. Well, right. you, you nailed that and rewind that folks and listen to it again and again <laughs> because that's so true. We're sort of past the point where you have to use original technology to be successful anymore. Well, we're doing business software. Right. We're doing op- operational business software. Now, Disney's not going to hire us to do their next Disney World graphical, you know, whiz-bang right. thing. We're doing, yeah. hey, you got a bunch of data. You're running a business. We know your business model now. Mm. We've got several, we've got several software engineers turned MBA on staff to look right. at your financial statements with you. Mm. You're running a business. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, the software isn't novel. It's not but rocket science. it should be science. competitively relevant. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. big one, I think, right now is mobile, right? Where mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of these companies that have never thought about mobile before, so let's say, well, whatever we build from here right. needs to have tolerance to mobile, which might push your experienced uh, software architect's existing experience set. Like, mm-hmm. he may not have done mobile apps before because they haven't been important in business until right. just recently. Right. I may not have thought through all the technological implications of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are there are new things, and we mm-hmm. we have extended an old crusty system with a brand spanking new iPhone app. Nice, and you mm-hmm. know it's it's an integration. Yeah, right? so so we had a lot of history. We built Web API yeah. on one side with you know, with uh, JSON Web Services, mm-hmm. and then okay, now brand new iPhone app talking over HTTPS Easy. to the Beautiful. Web API. Off and, top of it, good architecture. Yep, you were able to soak it down. But you, yeah, it's, it's does a software engineer at some point start studying, you know, evaluating risk points and saying things we need to execute to mitigate some risk? Yeah, that's part of that. That's part, and that's why it's so important for for a solution architect to have um, that experience, the right. mul- multiple projects, to be able just to look at it and say, ah, I see that risk around the corner. Yeah, manage that risk better. But same thing with you know somewhat unknown technology. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we are at a funny time in the mobile space right now. It's like, should I look at the hybrid solution? Do we want to build native? Like, that's a trickier decision to make now. It, it, that is true. That is true. Um, also, one of the one of the technologies that I'm actively monitoring but not participating in mm-hmm. is the whole Angular JS sure, space the spa and the model. Spa. Mm-hmm. Now, I do agree that applications are going to go there because we had really rich, responsive user interfaces, desktop applications. Right. And now we move to the web because of a deployment problem, yeah. essentially. But now we've got, okay, we click and refresh the page. Oh, now we got a little Ajax. But now it's possible to have the desktop-like experience with the easy deployment. Oh, wow. Mm. So I think we're going there. But eventually, probably in a few years, there's going to be some tools or frameworks where we don't have to be deep experts in that JavaScript to just be able to do it. Sure. Yeah. So do your web apps then tend to be MVC uh, on the back end and, and what? I mean, are you 
are you doing a kind of a, a spa thing? Or are you going page to page? Well, so our our favorite approach is MVC five Twitter Bootstrap, yeah. um, a dynamic dynamic page style, and then certain pages need some more statefulness rather than because yeah. if you're going to have a workflow that's refreshing a page ten times, well, it's oh hey maybe let's 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 pull Ajax in, and in a few cases the page ends up sort of being quote a spa page, right? but it's not a spa you're not doing, app. You're not doing yeah. any binding or anything like that, right? You're, or are you on the, on the, on the client side? I would say yes, but not extensively. Yeah. It's more like a lot of sophisticated Ajax yeah. that uses some of the spa patterns, right. but still retains URLs. And when I click on to go to a different screen, mm-hmm. I'm going to a different page. Yeah, it has right. a different URL. Well, and browsers are just happier when they get a chance yeah. to forget everything and start fresh. Right? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. It's really their heart. You know, that's where they've been built to work right. anyway. So, But I like the idea that when you have an interactive place, like say you're building up a transaction, the idea that you would stay in one place, not rebuild the screen, you know, collect that data, yeah. and then when you're ready to do the transaction jump somewhere right but again we're you know you can tell what we do all day these days right Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. we enjoy architecture and working through these patterns and problems but there's more you know still folks have to build this software in the end Mm -hmm. right right so solution architect software architect right and then making engineering choices and and then you have developers yeah now you need really good developers still Mm -hmm. right but but if we skip if we skip what is the right thing to do and what is the right technology selection, mm-hmm. what we'll find is that developer will see that gap, really passionate developer, yeah. and they'll see a gap in something, and then they will, you know, left left uh, unsupervised through their own passion, they'll go and reach for a library and they'll bring in a new dependency into sure. the software. They'll they'll grab a new piece of technology selection. They will do the engineering and, if you haven't done it. Right. Mm-hmm. right, because they'll see uh, this doesn't have enough structure. We yeah. need to short right because it's left undone. Yeah. So no designers in the mix. Uh, we do. We do have some uh, contracted from time to time, mm-hmm. but most, most most business software bootstrap pick is, a theme and go. It's used by employees. Right. So uh, it, which is very different. The software where you have to coerce anonymous users to use it, mm. you really got to think about the prettiness and the design. Right. You it's invest in that. Mm. Whereas here's the software, and yeah, the employees don't care about your software, mm. but they know using that software is going to help them get their job done. Right, right. right. And it wouldn't hurt if it delighted them along the sure. way, yeah. but it's not but it's not necessary. That's third or fourth right. rung problems. Right. But hmm. TurboTax. TurboTax hmm. isn't whiz bangy like Disney or whatnot. It's it's attractive, right. but it's simple. Right. You go, you one screen asks you a simple question mm-hmm. and you hit next. Simple question, hit next. Yeah. It's it's nothing fancy about how the UI is laid together. It's just task based UI. Until sure. you get to a question you can't answer <laughs> yeah. and then you cry. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Or or at the end, it, it, it's been years since I used TurboTax, but I remember using and at the end they give you the big old long tax statement. Please review this and verify yeah, it's correct. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, Trying yeah. to offload the risk. Yeah. Get right In the on end, that. we're still gonna make you decide it was right. <laughs> That's funny. Too funny. Uh when you're first getting a project up and going, how many devs are reasonable? Like what does it make is it just a couple and you add in more as you get progressing? As few as possible, but you start getting into problems when you can't do two. Right. Mm. So two two dedicated um software engineers for to do development is ideal in mm-hmm. my mind and you're you not, got, as the minimum as the ideal and you're not talking about a pair pair programming well they are they are a pair they're oh, they they are pair they'll, they'll programming. Dec- well, no, no, they'll decide yeah. how much to split up tasks okay. and which ones to work on together but All just right. a team of two yep dedicated undistracted and in, the, and in your world that's enough developers for any project no, i didn't say that okay in our business that's where it starts that's enough for probably 60 percent of our accounts right now right we have a, our largest team is uh four dedicated okay and and that's that's a rather new account and we've had a, one that's rocking three for a year and a half mm-hmm. but the fewer the the fewer the better in right. reality i mean but you, never one yeah being on an island by themselves it's, bad. it's mm-hmm. i mean we struggle with a couple accounts where you know the work is it's it's They've been in production and the amount of feature work, it's not like they're doing a big burst. Right. Um, so, but I'm just, the ideal is two. 
mm-hmm. because you got you got a coworker you can you know feed off of each other right but you three four five six there's more lines of communication more coordination necessary right. mm-hmm. and I think I think all the the scrum techniques where people put together teams of ten and then they use all these scrum techniques to try to manage that they put together a team of ten mm-hmm. and then you look at the productivity and I'm thinking. I think I'd get pretty darn productivity from two. Right. Two good. Well, you could, you could afford to, if you're going to keep the, stay that lean, they have to be pretty skilled. Like I would think it'd be very challenging to be a junior developer in your organization. We have one. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it is challenging. Yeah. But and again, it's just the scale of projects. Do you have room to grow new people mm-hmm. or is it not that kind of business? Oh, we absolutely have room to grow new people. Um, cause we're, we're, so we're doing the, the decentralized growth model where mm-hmm. we're not going to grow hierarchies and have this big right. orchestration of a company when, when, uh, when we have a practice that needs to maybe sprout on its, on, on its own, mm-hmm. we'll just, you know, sprout off a new organization sure. and, uh, and just do it that, that way. When you stick with teams of two, there's one junior, like that's a pretty ah. tough ratio. Well, it is, but it, it's two full time. Right. Plus, the we always get us we always get enough budget for assistance for, for, from the software architect right and the solution architect doesn't go away yeah so so and also we have we have devops engineers and the client engagement manager so we're talking about just here's here's the core team and they're going to be dedicated but then they have at least three other people supporting them and they can pull them in for various things right do you ever get pushback and i'm sure you do but how do you deal with pushback when you when you you know someone comes and says to you i just want a developer to do a project and you say no 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 we have this we have a a process that we go through it's been very successful we have a solution architect we have a software architect we have developers i mean you must get pushback because they just see you know oh you're making this big more complex than it needs to be blah 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 i'm sure you hear this all the time what what do you do? Do you just let those people go away, or do you you make your pitch and say you know take it or leave it? Uh, well, do you ever I, do it their way sure. to just be, to make them shut up? And, I, I mean, uh, I have high respect for those people. They 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 already know somewhat of what they're doing, and they know what they need, yeah. and they're going out and looking for it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's okay if we're not a fit for everybody, sure, right? Um, and, and because and I really come from it from their perspective. They're looking for something, yeah, and. If we can't provide what they really want, I just have to be honest. Like, right. if you hired us, you probably would be unsatisfied. Right. And yeah. and it, we it's, just have to be clear. Hey, this is what we're really good at. Yeah. Just like we do business systems. Right. If you try to if you if you try to hire us for a flash online flash video game, right? Sure. I mean, even if we still haven't told you we can do it, they're like, hurry, hire a flash contractor. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just not who we are, you know? Sure, yeah. It's yeah. like you've you picked a niche. It's a big niche. But you've you picked a space to work in, and you're going to turn away work that doesn't fit into that space. Right. And, yeah, I, and yeah. I think part of that's got to also be work style. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to own the whole app. You care very much about how it's built. What if it is a, somebody who wants a business app done, and they just think they know more than you in terms of how to go about doing it? I mean... So we, we come out and we just tell them, we tell them where we see the industry growing and we tell yeah. them what we're doing and what we're good at. And we tell them about our existing customers. Your so success they can, rate is pretty high too, I take it. Well, we, ha- we, um, shoot, we haven't lost any customers yet. Well, that's <laughs> good. <laughs> and that's, good. that's good in a, in a world where most software projects fail. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we don't focus on projects. I think that's the, it's yeah. getting, getting away from projects because, and getting to, Hey, we're your department. We're going to do right. we're, you in, uh, you in the warehouse. The warehouse doesn't have projects, right? The yeah. warehouse just does work. Yes. Right. right? So we're, we're getting more to the thing of we're just doing work. But does right. this mean you're going to at some point top out? Like how well does your business scale ultimately? How I many don't know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not there <laughs> yet. Right? It's been two years. <laughs> we're going to find out someday. Yeah. <laughs> not today. I mean, you've got a certain number of customers, but eventually you're going to have to keep adding people to take on more customers. Right. right? That's really well, cool. Yeah, if the organization isn't growing, then it's then it's dying somehow. And nothing yeah. ever stays the same. But I, I really do the the one thing we focus on. We have to grow to some level because the people self fulfilling prophecy. The people that I've hired so far, man, I really love them and they're awesome. And um, yeah, I walk out there and like I look around. I am not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so, I, I mean, they're top notch. Every position, yeah. even, even if, you know, the folks that only have three years of experience for three years of experience, 
He's top notch. Nice. Yeah. Right. And so we have these people, but in order to retain those people, we have to be growing enough to continue to develop, to, to offer them the challenges and the opportunities to keep up with their career path. Cause right. yeah. we go, they're self-motivated. Their path, their career is going. Yeah. yeah. And if the company doesn't keep up with their career path, right. then they're going to go somewhere else. Well, I got to think sure. this is one of the dangers of this greenfield model is there's only so many greenfield projects and you live with everything you build. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, can you see? Well, but your we don't only do Greenfield. Over? We we inherit we sure, inherit other systems, and we use the Michael Feathers legacy code right. techniques to wrestle them into continuous mm-hmm. integration and make them incrementally better. Sure, but the DevOps component is so huge because of the maintenance and proper operations. Can, improper operations can screw up. Oh, sure, it leaves a lot too. of energy. Right, Jeff. Well, I, I know that we could continue talking for another hour. I'm sure we could, but we're out of time. Is there any last point you wanted to make? Oh man. I just, yeah, I could talk about, yeah, man, I could talk about this forever. And it's just, I mean, it's kind of exciting. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate oh, sure. it. Great to talk yeah, to you. I love listening to the great show. Great to talk to you. And, and this is all great stuff. So thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a